Chapter Twenty Seven of Idiala. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wild Shimmering Path. Idiala by Sarah Grand. Chapter Twenty Seven. Idiala had returned to us quite under the impression that if she took the step she proposed, we should think it right to cast her off and that little tentative must i give you up was the only protest she had offered but such was not our intention far from it we do not forsake our friends in their bodily ailments and we are poor pitiful egotistical creatures indeed when we desert them for their mental and moral maladies leaving them to struggle against them and fight them out or succumb to them alone according to their strength and circumstances the world will forsake them fast enough and that is sufficient punishment if they deserve punishment of course idiala could never have come back to us as an honoured guest again after taking such a step but she would have continued to fill the same place in our affections if not in our esteem and you will drive everybody else away and keep the house empty all the year round in order to be able to receive her and mr lorimer whenever they choose to visit us claudia had declared when we discussed the subject that was not quite what i intended but i had made idiala understand that nothing she could do would affect her intercourse with us i told her so at once because i would not have her alter her determination for any consideration but the highest she might at the last have hesitated to separate herself from us for ever but i felt sure if that were the case and it was not a better motive entirely which deterred her she would not be satisfied eventually and i know now that i was right idiala wrote to lorimer and when she had finished her letter i found that she intended to impose a terrible task upon me until you know him yourself you will always misjudge him she said i want you to take him my letter and make his acquaintance i hesitated it is the least you can do she pleaded i shall be easier in my mind if you will it will be better for him to see you and hear all the things i cannot tell him in my letter and if i must not see him myself it will be a comfort to see somebody who has do go i shall be pained if you refuse this decided me and i went at once it was a long journey the same that idiala herself had taken under such very different circumstances so short a time before i thought of her going in doubt and uncertainty her own feelings colouring the aspect of all she saw on the way and returning in the first warm glow of her great and unexpected joy her new-found happiness which was destined alas to be so short-lived miserable fate which robbed her of all that would have made her life worth having a husband on whom she could rely her child and now the man upon whom she had been prepared to lavish the long pent-up passion the concentrated devotion of her great and noble nature poor starved heart crushed back upon itself suffering silently suffering always but never hardening on the contrary growing tenderer for others the more it had to endure itself would it always be so was there no peace on earth for idiala no one who could be all her own i felt responsible for this last hard blow had i done well the rush and rattle of the train shaped itself into a sort of sub-chorus to my thoughts as we sped through the pleasant fields was it right was it right was it right and i saw idiala with soft sad eyes pleading mutely pleading 
pleading always for some pleasure in life some natural womanly joy while youth and the power to love lasted by an effort of will i banished the question i told myself that my action in the matter had been expedient from every point of view but presently the rush of the grinding steel the thundering crank and the mighty wheel took me to task again and the chorus now became expediency right expediency right expediency right which when i banished it resolved itself into cold proud puritan cold proud puritan for the rest of the way but the journey ended at last though that was little relief with the task i had before me still unaccomplished a bulbous functionary took my card to lorimer when i presented myself at the great hospital next day and returning presently informed me that mr lorimer was disengaged and would see me at once if i would be so good as to come this way how familiar the whole proceeding seemed and how well i knew the place the soothing silence the massive grandeur the long dimly lighted gallery to the right the door at which the servant stopped and knocked the man who opened it and met my eyes fearlessly bowing with natural grace and bidding me enter a tall fair man self-contained and dignified cold pale and unimpassioned so i thought but my equal in every way the man who is all the world to idiala when i saw him i understood lorimer after dismissing his secretary was the first to speak you come to me from idiala he said is there anything wrong is she ill and i fancied he turned a trifle paler as the fear flashed through his mind i reassured him physically she is better i said but mentally he interposed you give her no peace i was silent i know you are no friend of mine he added on the contrary i answered i hope i am the best friend you have just now i know what that means he said you have tried to dissuade idiala and having failed you have come here to use your influence with me no i answered i have not come to discuss the subject i have brought you a letter from idiala at her special request and i am ready to take her any reply which you may think fit to send i gave him the letter and rose to go but he detained me stay till i have read it if you can spare me the time he said it is just possible that there is something in it which we ought to discuss i turned to the mantelpiece and tried to interest myself in the lovely things with which it was crowded but never in my life did my heart sink so for another never have i endured such moments of pained suspense i heard him open the envelope i heard the paper rustle as he turned the page and then there was silence full of the city's stilly sound a moment only but filled with something which possessed the darkness of the world delight life anguish death mortal love ceasing not mingled unrepressed apart from space withholding time a moment's silence and then a heavy fall lorimer had fainted i stayed three days at the great hospital three days of the most delightful converse at first lorimer had rebelled not realizing that idiala's last decision was irrevocable you have over-persuaded her he said no i answered i have convinced her and i shall convince you too he pleaded for her pathetically not for himself at all she has had so little joy he said using the very words that had occurred to me and i wanted to silence her i wanted to save her from her fate for she is un des secrets humains qui nascent dans tout un secret pour amer la vérité et pour mourir sans avoir pour la frère amer de atresse she must suffer terribly if she goes on this was a point upon which we differed 
he would have given her the natural joys of a woman husband home children friends and only such intellectual pursuits which are pleasant i had always hoped to see her at work in a wider field but she was one of those rare women who are born to fulfil both destinies at once and worthily if only circumstances had made it possible for her to combine the two before i had been with him many hours i began to be sensible of that difference of feeling on certain subjects which would have made their union a veritable linking of the past to the future his belief that nothing can be better than what has been and that old institutions revised are all that the world wants and her faith in future developments of all good ideas and further discoveries never yet imagined for one thing lorimer considered famine and war inevitable scourges of the human race necessary for the removal of the surplus population and useless to contend against because destined to recur so long as there is a human race but he would have limited intellectual pursuits for women because culture is held to prevent the trouble for which the elder expedients only provided a cure a point upon which ideala did not agree with him at all nothing is more disastrous to social prosperity she held or more likely to add to the criminal classes than families which are too large for their parents to bring up and educate comfortably in their own station if the higher education of women is a natural check on overproduction of that kind then encourage it thankfully as a merciful dispensation of providence for the prevention of much misery i can see no reason in nature or ethics for a teeming population only brought into existence to be removed by famine and war why this old green ball of an earth would roll on just as merrily without any of us lorimer wrote to her at last he had been obliged to acquiesce and i took ideala his letter but she womanlike though nothing would have altered her decision was not at first satisfied with his compliance it seemed to her too ready and that made her doubt if she might not have been to blame after all they wrote to each other once again and when she received his last letter she spoke to me about it he must have seen it as you do from the first for he has said no word to alter my determination rather the contrary she told me we are not to meet again nor to correspond and doubtless it is a relief to him to have the matter settled in this way but one thing puzzles me in the last letter i bade him good-bye adding since that is what you wish and he has replied i never said i wished it will you remember that i do remember it and it comforts me but why i knew that lorimer had said little in order to make her sacrifice as easy for her as possible and i was silent too for the same reason i thought if she felt herself to blame her pride would come to the rescue and make her loss appear rather inevitable than voluntary for say what we will we reconcile ourselves to the inevitable sooner than to those sorrows which we might have saved ourselves had we deemed it right you insinuated once that it was all my fault she said perhaps it was if fault there be but if i tempted him it must have been generosity that made him yield to the temptation he pitied me and was ready to make me happy by devoting himself to me since that was what i seemed to require and i agree with you now i don't think we should either of us have found any real happiness in that way but oh how i long for him for his friendship for his companionship for his love it is hard 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 if he does not miss me as i do him then i told her but he does and he did not yield to your decision until i had convinced him that he could never make you happy in such a position <sighs> a great sigh of relief escaped her 
and then I saw that I ought to have been frank with her from the first. It strengthened her to know they still had something left to them in common, though that something was only their grief. I tried to comfort her by speaking of the many ways in which she might still find happiness. She listened patiently until I was obliged to stop for want of words. Then she said, This is all very well, but you know you're talking nonsense. What is the use of offering people everything but the one thing needful? What I say to myself is, Well, I have had my turn, have been raised from the darkness of the clod, and for a glorious moment seen the brightness of the skirts of God. And I try to think I have no right to complain, but still I am not better satisfied than the child that has eaten its cake and wants to have it too. And I suppose that there are many who would call me wretched and say that my life, with my sorrowful marriage, which was no marriage, but a desecration of that holy state and a sin, and my hopeless love, is a broken life. Certainly I feel it so, and yet I don't know. With his nature it seems to me that some wrongdoing was inevitable. Do you think my suffering might be taken as expiation for his sins? Do you think we are allowed the happiness of bearing each other's burdens in that way, if we will? If I were sure of that, I should not fancy, as I used to, that I had a work to do in the world. I should know that my work is done, and that now I may rest. Ah, the blessing of rest! Not long after this, a cruel rumor reached us, on good authority, that Lorimer was engaged to be married. I confess that my feeling about it was one of unmitigated contempt for the man and I trembled for the effect of the news upon Idiala. She made no sign, however, when first she heard it. I was surprised, and fear I showed that I was, in spite of myself, for she spoke about it. You do not understand, she said. One event in his career is not of more consequence to me than another, because all are of the greatest consequence. But I have none of the dog-in-the-manger spirit. I think there must be something almost maternal in my feeling for him, which is why it does not change. Were I less constant, it would prove that my affection is of a lower kind, less enduring because less pure. I do not care to talk about him, but I think of him always. I think of him as I saw him last, with the sun on him. Do you know his hair is like light gold with the sun on it? Sometimes the memory of him fades a little, and I cannot recall his features, and then I am tormented. But of course he comes back to me, so vividly that I have started often when I looked up and found myself alone. The desire to be with him never lessens. It burns in me always, and is both a pain and a pleasure. But my love is too great to be selfish. His wishes for himself are my wishes, and what is best for him is happiest for me. Am I never jealous? Jealous? No. Do you know that he is mine, mine through every change? Neither time nor distance separates us, really. No common tie can keep him from me. Let him be bound, as and to whomsoever he pleases. His soul is mine, and must return to me sooner or later. I like him to be happy in any way that is right, for I know that what he gives to others is not himself. I was not fit for the dear earthly love, but perhaps, if I keep myself pure body and soul for him, I shall be made worthy at last, and of something better, and my love is so great it would draw him in spite of himself. But it will not be in spite of himself, for he will find by and by that he cannot live with a smaller soul, and then he will come to me. Do you not understand what I want? His soul, purified, strengthened, ennobled, nothing less will satisfy me, and his mother might ask as much, if I might be made the means of saving it, 
Then after a little pause she added, Oh, how beautiful death is! He will be glad, as I should be now to meet it, and yet more glad, for then the end will have come for him, but I should have still to wait. The rumor of Lorimer's engagement, however, proved to be false. It was another Lorimer, a cousin of his. Lorimer is restored to your good graces now, I suppose, Claudia said in her half-sarcastic way, when the mistake was explained. I had not told her what was in my mind. She had read my thoughts. You think that a man whom Idiala has loved should consider himself sacred, she added. I did not answer but I hold that all men who have felt or inspired great love will be sanctified by it if there be any true nobility in their nature. And I knew that one man, whom Idiala did not love, had been so sanctified by love for her, and held himself sacred always. But it was a relief to my mind to know that Lorimer was not unworthy. He was a distinguished man then, and I felt that he would become still more distinguished eventually. He was not one of the many who come and go and are forgotten, but one of those destined to live forever, in minds made better by their presence. The good in his nature was certainly as far above the average as were his splendid abilities, and Idiala was right when she declared that she could answer for his principles. It is impulse that is beyond calculation, and for his own or another's impulses no wise man will answer. Idiala continued to droop. She will never get over it, I said to Claudia one day, when we were alone together. Indeed she will, Claudia answered confidently. Out of the depth of your profound ignorance of natural history do you speak, my brother. I dread the reaction, though. When it comes, she will be overwhelmed with shame, but it will come. All this is only a phase. She is in a state of transition now. It is her pride that makes her nurse her grief and will not let her give him up. She cannot bear to think that she, of all women in the world, should have been the victim of anything so trivial as a passing fancy. Not that it would have been a passing fancy if they had not been separated, but as it is, why no fire can burn without fuel. Claudia had evidently changed her mind, and she might be right, but my own fear was that her first impression would be justified, and that Idiala would never be able to take a healthy interest in anything again. I cannot care, was her constant complaint. Nothing ever touches me, either painfully or pleasurably. Nothing will ever make me glad again. She said this one evening when she was sitting alone with Claudia and myself, and there was a long silence after she had finished speaking, during which she sat in a dejected attitude, her face buried in her hands. All at once she looked up. It is very strange, she said, but half that feeling seems to have gone with the expression of it. I think, Claudia decided in her common-sense tone, that you are nursing this unholy passion, Idiala. You are afraid to give it up, lest there should be nothing left to you. Can you not free your mind from the trammels of it and grasp something higher, better, and nobler? Can you not become mistress of yourself again, and enter on a larger life which shall be full of love? Not the narrow, selfish passion you are cherishing for one, but the pure and holy love which only the best, and such women as you, may always be of the best, can feel for all. If you could but get the fumes of this evil feeling out of yourself, you would see, as we see, what a common thing it is, and you would recognize, as we recognize, that your very expression of it is just such as is given to it by every hysterical man or woman that has ever experienced it. It is a physical condition caused by contact, and kept up by your own perverse pleasure in it, nothing more. 
every one grows out of it in time and any one with proper self-control could conquer it you are wavering yourself you see now that you have crystallized the feeling into words that it is a pitiful thing after all that the object is not worth such an expenditure of strength certainly not worth the sacrifice of your power to enjoy anything else such devotion to the memory of a dead husband has been thought grand by some although for my part i can see nothing grand in any form of self-indulgence whether it be the indulgence of sorrow or joy which narrows our sphere of usefulness and causes us to neglect the claims of those who love us upon our affection and the claims of our fellow-creatures generally upon our consideration but in your case it is simply claudia paused for want of a word you would say it is simply degrading idiola imposed i do not feel it so i glory in it i know said claudia pitilessly you all do and then she got up and laid her hand on idiola's shoulder it is time she said earnestly it is time o oh passionate heart and morbid eye that old hysterical mock disease should die End of chapter twenty seven